Welcome to the channel of Anna Purdue. Look for the link below the podcast and make sure to upload the podcast so you can multitask while hearing the message. And you can also look for the link and um, once you open it up, you can scroll over and select your favorite platform, Apple, Spotify, or Google, and just look for the channel Anna Purdue. A huge shout out to Beverly C. Hugh R. Walter M., Neil and Lisa H. and Nancy S. for your donations to the channel. And if you're able and are interested in helping this channel, you can do so by clicking the donation link found on my website at annapurdue.com. Today, I will give you a bit of insight on how the political situation worldwide turned into such a mess. The Central Intelligence Agency, from here on out referred to as the Secret Agency, revealed a heart attack gun in 1975, a battery-operated gun which fired a dart of frozen water and shellfish toxin. Once inside the body, it would melt, leaving only a small red mark on the victim where it entered. The official cause of death would always be a heart attack. Sam Giacana, leader of the mob who agreed to work for the secret agency to kill Castro, He gets shot to death in 1975, just two days before he is supposed to testify about the JFK assassination to the church committee. Johnny Rosselli, the mobster working for Giacana to run the Castro kill-ops for the secret agency, was found dead inside an oil drum in Miami in 1976, just weeks before he was supposed to testify to the church committee. Born Filippo Seco in Italy on July the 4th, 1905, he immigrated to the U.S. in 1911, settling into a family. He was living a family life near Boston until the death of his father. When he dropped out of school and headed for Chicago after a possible homicide... Arriving in Chicago in 1922, he shed his birth name and joined the Chicago mob as John Rosselli. He moved to Los Angeles in 1924, working under Jack Dragna, and over the following 20 years, he was arrested several times on minor charges before being charged in 1943 with racketeering and sentenced to 10 years. However... Within a few years, he and his accomplices had been paroled. With the power of the mob behind him, he assisted in the production of two movies and was instrumental in getting Marilyn Monroe a multi-year contract. He then moved to Las Vegas, looking after the Chicago mob interest in the casinos until the city was cleaned up. By this time, he was a well-respected mob enforcer associated with Sam Giacana, Santo Traficante, and Mayor Lansky. Imagine that. In 1960, he was invited to be part of the secret agency mafia plot to assassinate Fidel Castro. Traficante and Giacano were already involved in other mobsters, had an invested interest having lost their casinos in the Cuban Revolution. However, the plot failed, as did the secret agency's Bay of Pigs invasion. It is speculated that he was then part of a conspiracy involving Giacana, Traficante, Lansky, and New Orleans boss Carlos Marcello, along with elements of the secret agency and Texas oil men. 
think Cheney Bush family to assassinate John F. Kennedy. James Files places Roselli alongside Charlie Nicoletti in Dealey Plaza as one of the assassins. The fact that Sam Giacana was murdered just before he was due to testify before the United States Senate Select Committee about the attempted assassination on Fidel Castro should have discouraged Roselli from testifying, but it didn't. His testimony is still classified, but... On August the 9th, 1976, his remains were found in a 55-gallon steel drum floating in Dumbfoundling Bay near Miami. He left his Florida home to go out for a game of golf and was not seen alive again. David Morales, the secret agency's number one hitman who was in Dallas on the 22nd of November of 1963 and who is suspect number one for being the gunman on the grassy knoll, dies of a heart attack. Remember that heart attack gun? At the old age of 53 in 1978, just weeks before he is supposed to testify to the church committee, David Sanchez Morales was a secret agent man of many places and many faces. He was of Mexican and Native American descent and could pass himself off as someone from numerous ethnic groups. After making a name for himself and assisting the secret agency, backed coup efforts in Guatemala and Venezuela, Mr. Sanchez Morales moved to the Miami area to work on the secret agency's efforts to overthrow Fidel Castro from Cuba. He ran in circles with top secret agency spooks, such as David Atlee Phillips, Tom Kleins, Ted Shackley, William Harvey, and E. Howard Hunt during these missions and was credited for his amoral tenacity. If the agency needed someone action-oriented, he was at the top of the list. If the U.S. government, as a matter of policy, needed someone or something neutralized, Dave would do it, including things that were repugnant to a lot of people. Sanchez Morales and the secret agency trained many Cuban exiles for the failed 1961 Bay of Pigs invasion. JFK inherited the ongoing Cuban intrigues when he took office in January of 1961. He was not on board with many of the reckless, provocative tactics of the secret agency in regards to Castro and called off air support for this raid, factoring into the deaths of more than 100 Cuban exiles and capture of 1,200 more men that Sanchez Morales had personally trained. Evidently, David Sanchez Morales never forgot this slight and could rationalize his role in the JFK assassination as getting even for JFK getting his soldiers killed. This suspect meets the description of the dark-skinned Latin that Air Force Sergeant Robert G. Vinson saw boarding his flight along with Oswald imposter Billy Seymour in the hours after the JFK assassination. 
Moments prior to the JFK assassination, an elderly Negro, likely dark complexion, David Sanchez Morales, was seen on the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository with a rifle by witnesses Mr. and Mrs. Arnold Rowland. After the assassination, witnesses reported seeing Oswald picked up by a Negro in a station wagon which belonged to Ruth Payne, Oswald's landlady and secret agency-affiliated babysitter. This was David Sanchez Morales picking the real Oswald up to drop him off at his other Dallas rooming house so that he might be killed there by conspirators Roscoe White, J.D. Tippett, and Billy Seymour. Mrs. Payne would go on to be the Wiring Commission Whitewash's star witness against Lone Nut Oswald. Additionally, her husband, Michael Payne, was a higher-up at Bell Helicopter, which profited mightily from the Vietnam War, which Kennedy did not want. Finally, in recent years, allegations have surfaced that David Sanchez Morales was also on the scene at the RFK assassination in 1968. One industrious researcher looked over all the available film of that evening in a search for Mr. Sanchez Morales in the crowd overseeing that particular Kennedy assassination plot. On that Kennedy killing assignment, a crooked security guard likely killed RFK and a low-IQ simpleton with a major gambling debt took the fall as the patsy. Once Nixon came into office and Americans were questioning JFK's assassination, presiding President Nixon launched Operation 40. In 1960, Richard Nixon recruited George Bush Sr. and Jack Creekton to gather funds for Operation 40. In 1990, the Common Cause magazine argued that the secret agency put millionaire and agent George Bush in charge of recruiting exiled Cubans for the secret agency's invading army. Bush was working with another Texan oil magnate, Jack Creekton, who helped him in terms of the invasion. This story was linked to the release of a memorandum in that context addressed to FBI Chief J. Edward Hoover and signed November 1963, which reads, Mr. George Bush of the Secret Agency. In an article published in The Realist in 1990, the writer claims, among other members of the secret agency recruited by George Bush were Frank Sturgis, Howard Hunt, Bernard Baker, and Rafael Quintero. Rafael Quintero stated, If I was to tell what I know about Dallas and the Bay of Pigs, it would be the greatest scandal that has ever rocked the nation. General Fabian Escalante, chief of security of state Cuba, claimed that during captivity, Tony Cuesto confessed that he had been involved in the assassination of Kennedy. He also named a Lady Odell Valle, Roland Masburger, and Hermino Diaz Garcia as being involved in this operation. All four men were members of Operation 40. 
Shortly before his death in 1975, John Martino confessed to a Miami Newsday reporter, John Cummings, that he had been guilty of spreading false stories implicating Lee Harvey Oswald in the assassination of John F. Kennedy. He claimed that two of the gunmen were Cuban exiles. It is believed the two men were Hermino Diaz Garcia, Operation 40, and Virgilio Gonzalez, Operation 40. Cummings added, He told me he'd been part of the assassination of Kennedy. He wasn't in Dallas pulling a trigger, but he was involved. He implied that his role was delivering money facilitating things. He asked me not to write it while he was alive. Fred Clayson also told the House Select Committee on Assassinations what he knew about his business partner's involvement in the case. He claimed John Martino told him the anti-Castro people put Oswald together. Oswald didn't know who he was working for. He was just ignorant of who was really putting him together. Oswald was to meet his contact at the Texas Theater. They were to meet Oswald in the theater and get him out of the country, then eliminate him. Oswald made a mistake. There was no way we could get to him. They had Ruby kill him. Florence Martino at first refused to corroborate the story. However, in 1994, she told Anthony Summers that her husband said to her on the morning of the 22nd of November, 1963, Flo, they're going to kill him, meaning Kennedy. They're going to kill him when he gets to Texas. There is another key secret agency figure in Operation 40 who has made a confession concerning the assassination of John F. Kennedy. David Morales was head of operations at J.M. Wave, the secret agency Miami station at the time of the assassination. Gate and Fonzie carried out a full investigation of Morales while working for the House Select Committee on Assassinations. Unfortunately, Morales could not testify before the House Select Committee on Assassinations because he died of a heart attack on the 8th of May of 1978. Fonzie tracked down Ruben Carbajal, a very close friend of Morales. Carbajal saw Morales the night before he died. He also visited Morales in the hospital when he received news of the heart attack. Carbajal is convinced that Morales was killed by the secret agency. And most likely he was correct. In 1975, a congressional hearing revealed the secret agency had numerous top secret weapons, including a gun that became known as the secret agency heart attack gun. In 1975, Congress investigated the secret agency out of concern that former President Nixon may have used the secret agency in an abuse of his powers. Nixon had resigned from office the previous year on August 9, 1974, fearing impeachment amidst the Watergate scandal. One revelation from the congressional hearings was that the secret agency had a secret assassination weapon otherwise known as the heart attack gun. According to a video interview with Mary Embry, a former secret agency employee, she was asked to help develop an ICE gun. 
The secret agency asked her to help find a poison which, when administered, would mimic a heart attack in the person but remain undetectable. She said the heart attack gun reportedly could pierce through clothing, leaving no signs of impact on the skin except a small red dot. The targeted person would feel nothing beyond a slight sting comparable to a mosquito bite. Are you noticing a pattern here? Remember the baptism and murder scene from The Godfather? There are several scenes from The Godfather that deserve special mention, and this is definitely one of them. Although fans have made countless memes out of this memorable sequence, it remains an integral part of The Godfather's spectacular vision. Balancing the antithetical notions of birth and death, the camera switches between the baptism of Connie's baby and the brutal execution of New York crime bosses. If anything, it orchestrates the shift of power and foreshadows the subsequent rise of Michael Corleone, one of the most cathartic moments in the Godfather trilogy, This scene shows Vito exacting revenge on the man who robbed him of his innocence as a child. When he was around 10 years old, Don Sissio murdered his family for not being able to pay the tribute. In the world of Vito Carleone, played by Marlon Brando, we learn how the Godfather runs the patriarchal systems of crime, family, and businesses in a flawless flawlessly efficient manner. Years later, Vito systematically targets Sissio's operation and arranges a meeting with the man himself. Confronted by the ghost who has haunted him for most of his life, Vito carves the Don's stomach open and shows how violence is cyclical in nature. Vito's son, Michael, who realizes that he is not immune to mortality, even though he spent his life as an invincible crime boss, learns in the end, none of it matters. We learned in this disgusting plot, crime has no boundaries. It seems the Godfather Crime Syndicate set up shop within the secret agency to continue its operations within the United States government and ultimately worldwide. It has come to light an unthinkable operation conducted by this rogue agency took place in Europe for no other explanation to me but pure cruelty or perhaps a reason to justify eugenics. Do you know about the secret agency-backed secret experiments on Danish orphans? Well, several hundred children were unknowingly subjected to electrode experiments to reveal psychopathic traits and find links to schizophrenia. There's a documentary titled The Search for Myself that claims the experiments began in the 1960s to find if schizophrenia was heredity, heredity, inherited and reportedly took place in Copenhagen Municipal Hospital's basement. Filmmaker Per Winnig, who says he as a child was tortured by these experiments, recalls electrodes being put in his arms, legs, and chest and having to listen to loud, shrill noises. Danish radio points to U.S. psychologist Zarnoff A. Mednik, a professor at Michigan University, as the culprit of the study. 
When no suitable study group was found, he turned to Danish research peers. It's said the National Archives show the project was co-financed by the U.S. Health Service and later received money from the Human Ecology Fund operated on behalf of the secret agency. Shockingly, Mednick, the son of Jewish parents who had immigrated to the United States from Ukraine, born on January 27, 1928, and raised in the Bronx in New York City, is hailed a hero among his peers. Here is yet another place the agency has found in society. Let me read this. This is a description of the various proprieties. The operational needs of the agency have required it to venture forth into many areas where proprieties were a perceived necessary vehicle. These areas have included air support, media publications, proprietary management, accounting and management, insurance, personal insurance coverage, annuity coverages, and escrow account maintenance for agent personnel, covert procurement, general merchandise, arms, ammunition, and police-related equipment, cover support, commercial cover, such as management consultant firms, importing companies, travel agencies, energy research organizations, behavior psychology companies, personal services, tape transcription, personnel investigations for security clearance and approvals, public accounting firms, electoral and political analysis firm keyed into foreign elections, operational support, purchase of condominiums in foreign countries, sporting goods, businesses in United States with sales in Latin America, various overseas foundations to provide grants, export-import firms, a company which holds a note for certain U.S. government funds borrowed by a consortium of aluminum companies for the extraction of bauxite in Guinea to ensure U.S. control of bauxite extraction activities in Guinea and various other miscellaneous categories. (laughs) So, What other kinds of fake companies do do the agency operate? All kinds, if you think of it. The agency is doing it. This list of industries that the agency has that I just mentioned, it covers a lot of territory. The agency is like a miniature economy unto itself. Who knew? Why did the agency run a sporting goods store with sales in Latin America? The agency runs election and polling companies? Oh, would that be for rigging elections? The agency runs behavior psychology companies? What? There's the MK Ultra mind control experiment stuff. The agency runs companies that give out grants? Maybe we shouldn't be blaming George Soros for funding the BLM Antifa. How do we know Soros isn't just the front man for the agency? Also very interesting, the agency fake company accepted loans from the U.S. government to corner the market on bauxite mining in Guinea? What the heck is bauxite used to manufacture? I'll tell you what. 
Aluminum. Yes, aluminum. Think about that. This explains the medical worldwide project conducted today with no remorse whatsoever by our world leaders. Wickedness knows no bounds.